And we welcome you to this edition of Tuesday People, the podcast. Glad to have you joining us here in the latter part of January as we get ready for even colder weather, at least where I am. I'm looking out the window here. Snow-covered everything. Snow-covered ah. trees, snow-covered ground, snow-covered street. Snow covered. We have a table where I live out on the little deck, and it's open to the air. And that table is basically the measurement of the snow because right. <laughs> however much snow comes down, I don't have to worry about it drifting on a table. So I can always look out on the table and say, oh, we had two inches. Oh, we had six inches. Oh, we had eight inches. And suffice it to say, you can't see the table. <laughs> it's buried. Uh, but that's life in Detroit. I'm Mitch Album, your host of this program, inspired by the book Tuesdays with Maury, which I wrote 27 years ago now. And yet the lessons still resonate today. And we review some of them every week as it pertains to life in 2024. Lisa Goitz is my friend and producer of this program. She's alongside as always. Lisa, today we're going to deal with the subject of calm. Calm. Oh, Even I the could word use that. itself. It's it's like onomatopoetica. <laughs> it sounds like it is. Calm. Yeah. Calm. Calm. When you say it correctly, calm. Now when you say keep calm, it doesn't quite have the <laughs> no. same ring to it. But how do we find calm in light of all the stuff that we have to deal with today? Everybody's so distressed. I think coming into 2024, nobody is really looking at this and saying, this is going to be a calm year. <laughs> no. no election year, first of all, is ever a calm year in America. And no. it's getting more and more so uh, that way. And um uh, then, of course, we have, you know, all the existential fears of the wars that are going on in the world. And on top of that, there's probably some new strain of COVID just around the corner, the economy and all the other worries we have. And then all of those are global or national. But the way that most people live is local. They, you know, their, their fears, their concerns, their joys all come from their own household for the most part. You know, very few people live on CNN or live on Fox News. So they may watch it a lot, but in the end, what are we getting for dinner? And how's little Joey doing in school? And how's my mother doing in the nursing home? And these are, these are the concerns that people have. And many of them become overwhelming, you know? And then when we have a particular problem like health, for example, or an economic crisis, we have to sell the house, or, or there's some drama going on with one of our children uh, is involved in a bad relationship or dealing with an addiction, it can feel like the world is just swirling all over you. And how do you find your footing? How do you find your calm? How do you stare at fear? but not become full of fear. This was a question that I asked Maury with great interest because here he was dying from Lou Gehrig's disease, you know, debilitating long-term illness that almost nobody ever survives. And he kind of knew that his time was limited. So this was one of the beauties of talking with Maury because he was able to 
answer these questions, not in a theoretical sense, Lisa, not like, you know, I think if I ever got a terminal illness, I would be the kind of person who would, you know, you hear people say that all the time, but yeah. you don't really know until it happens to you, right? Yeah, Well, it happened to Maury. So I want to walk you through a conversation that Maury and I had about how he found his calm, given the circumstance that he found himself in. And we began by talking about society and why fear has always been prevalent in our world. Here's Maury on that. Right now, and in the past, fear was a great sort of presence because life was not safe. In the primitive days, you killed at any moment by natural forces, by other people, by strangers. Gradually, what the history of the world has been is trying to make the world safer for human beings. Now, that's so obvious, it, it makes you smile when you hear it because you don't realize, yes, the whole progression of the world from the earliest time has been to make it safer. Right? Yes. To take the yes. fear out of the world, right? When people realize that storms were part of life, they built huts or they moved into caves. When they realized that freezing was a fear and a, and a concern, they learned to make fire. You know, yep. uh, as, as the years passed, when they learned that uh, that going through dense areas was dangerous, they created roads. When they learned that uh, you know riding on horses was uh, not the fastest way to do things, or you could fall off or whatever, they invented cars. They're, you know, all the way up to bulletproof doors and windows. Life has been about making life safer. We invented vaccines and medicines to make life safer from disease. We invented AIDS, like uh, canes and wheelchairs and walkers to make life safer for people who had challenges getting around. Um, we invented clothing to protect us from the elements, right? We, everything we do it, it seems to come back down to trying to make life safer, except the iPhone. <laughs> right. It's a world of or, its own. Or less, yeah, I was going to say, or easier to deal with and less and, and more calm, but yeah. boy, the, cell phones and... <laughs> And We've gone the wrong way with that. And yeah. all of the things that we can access via them um, are, are not calming. Unless you have the Calm app or any one number of the uh, right, apps right. that I, I app, use. Get Calm, get an app. Yeah. So, all right. So we know that the history of the world has been to make life safer. Then Maury picks up from there. However, we went to a certain point and then we made it completely unsafe. I don't think people are aware fully how much of a quantum leap 
their fear has taken. Aside from the, the little fears that you have in daily life, because we have destructive, we've uh, manufactured the atomic bomb, which means that we can be wiped out at any instant. Now, the Cold War is over, so people consciously forget about that. The issue is not over. And I am fully convinced that since 45, since that bomb has dropped into our unconscious, has come this pervasive fear that we can be annihilated at any moment. We don't face that because it's too frightening. That's added on to all the other existential fears that we have. Again, something that seems so obvious, and yet we don't talk about it, that it kind of right. slapped you in the face. He's right. Once the world developed weapons of mass destruction, you are always on some kind of tinder hook, particularly in other countries in the world. I think America, we get a little cocky because we figure, well, we have more bombs than they do if it came a showdown. But as we witnessed on 9-11, you know, it doesn't take a, an atomic bomb to have a devastating attack. And now that we're in a world where you can be attacked, we always have this existential fear. What Israel is going through now, what the people of Gaza are going through now, uh, the 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 fear of something coming out of the sky and killing them is something that we never planned for. You know, we tried to make the world safer and then we made it more dangerous and war just kind of hangs out there. So now you've got war and destruction and international events and terrorism and big things like COVID and, you know, what I would call global worries to go with your personal and more down-to-earth and home-based worries. All right, so it's all fear. What do you do with it? More of Maury. However that fear comes, in whatever form it takes, the only way that I know is to look it in the face and be aware of the fact that you have it. And then say, what can I do about it? Do I want to continue to tremble and submit? Or do I want to try to handle it? When he speaks here, he's talking about detachment. Remember, we've done that in previous episodes where we talked about looking at an emotion and just saying, okay, stop. I know what that is. That's rage. Stop. I know what that is. That's jealousy. Stop. I know what that is. That's self-pity. And allow yourself to feel it but stop and recognize, okay, that's not me, that's self-pity. Yeah. That's not me, that's rage. That's not me, that's envy. Maury says the same thing in an effort to stay calm about fear. You know, whatever it is, I look at it. Okay, I'm afraid. Now what? So I just wait to see it'll go away without doing very much, just the passage of time, or the situation changes, or I try to detach myself, say, okay, I'm afraid, but it's not me. That's interesting. Um, 
that's hard to do. Let me tell you, you know, I live my life sort of fearful <laughs> in mm. most instances, and it really is hard to turn that switch off when you are feeling something or or any sort of things when you're angry at somebody or if you get an email from somebody and you feel slighted or whatever. Your first your first um, instinct is to not not approach it from a calm place. Your first instinct is to write back and go, what are you talking about? Right, you know right. what I mean? It, so how do you center but yourself? That's what you have to train yeah. yourself. Boy, I wish I learned that from the time I was a baby. I'm wondering if we teach babies how to take a breath, if yeah. we, if then we automatically learn it as adults. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you say that because, uh, as you know, we're raising a baby now. And uh, while there are a lot of challenges raising a baby at my age and my wife's age, in terms of the energy and the, oh, God, we got to get up and <laughs> change your diapers or things like that. But there's an advantage in that. I've seen what has happened when young parents put their fears and their phobias and their worries and their frenetic attitude, their drama, onto their kids. Mm -hmm. The kids end up dramatic and fearful oh, and frenzied yeah. and frenetic, just like their parents are. Yeah. So when I talk to Nadi, even though my maybe natural inclination, if she threw a cookie across the room, would be to say, don't throw, you know, we don't throw cookies. Don't why, why are you throwing it? You know, that, that would be the natural thing that would come out. Yeah. But I know that if I do that to her, she'll become just like me and she'll become the person who goes, why are you doing that? Why? Do so when she throws the cookie across the room and she looks at me with that look in her eye, like, what are you going to do about it? I I make sure to lower my voice, keep it at a calm level. I go, naughty. We don't do that. We don't throw cookies. I always say it almost like if you took the words away, but just listen to my tone. Yeah. My tone would be friendly and loving. Yes. And I want her to associate the negative, you know, the the no the, okay, I can't do that, with something that sounds friendly and loving. So she feels that and she doesn't live in fear of it. Oh, yeah. Well, it's a correction. But the kids look for you for corrections. That's they they'll, they do that all their lives. Yeah. And, and so it's a correction, but it's a correction with the calmness. No, Nadi, can you can you go pick up that cookie now? And she'll stare. She'll stare. Can you go pick up that cookie? I think you should go pick up the cookie. She'll stare. She'll be thinking, how do I resist this? And then, you know, realizing that to go no or like that isn't matching. I'm not going to answer with that. She eventually she'll walk over. She'll go get the cookie. She'll bring it back and I'll clap for her and I'll go, yay, naughty. Thank you for bringing the cookie back. Now, I'm not saying this like I'm some kind of great parent or anything like that. Believe me, I'm at the bottom of the pile and people who have done this far longer and far better than I have. Um, will, I'm sure, say this better. But what I've observed is I don't want to transfer drama onto her. And the way yeah. that you do that is recognize your own drama about mm -hmm. things that don't warrant it. We'll be back with more Tuesday People right after this. Hey. 
Hey, all you true crime fans, this is Mike Ferguson. And this is Mike Morphin. And we'd like to invite you to listen to our podcast, Criminology. Launched in 2017, we've covered a variety of strange cases from murders to missing persons. Some of the cases are ones you may not have heard of. Other cases we cover are some of the most historic in true crime. There are 200 episodes of Criminology available to binge on right now. And new episodes come out every Saturday night. Subscribe to Criminology today, wherever you listen to your podcast. And here, Maury continues on, on this, uh, this idea. Listen. Not to get too distressed about it. Mm-hmm. So the basement is flooded. We'll take care of it. The house is not coming down, you know. Some people can handle it. And some people get into a frenzy that things have to be just right. They're distressed. Well, my view is it doesn't help the situation to get distressed. If you keep a cool head, you might do better with it mm-hmm. than sort of getting all, all unhappy and you know, fidgety and wondering, well, why aren't they here? That's a small example. We were talking about somebody came because the basement was flooded in Maury's house. And there was none of that, oh my God, basement's flooded. Ugh. Now we're going to have to deal with this. You know, this is going to cost a fortune. All the things that come with that, right? Like you and I would do. Yes. But look at a situation, right? Is that That's yeah, why. Right. Because, boy, it's something way bigger than having to worry about a flood in the basement. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> yes. You put exactly. it into perspective. Exactly. And he said that as much in, in the next couple of seconds. Listen. No, I wasn't always that way of being calm about things. I've got much more so. No, I would imagine. More so. They're more important things. So, coming back to fear. Fear, the thing that I figured out, which I haven't worked out completely, once, once you're able to accept and come to terms with your fear of death and accept your death, that all other fears are minor. You can take them easily. Once you settle in your mind and in your heart, that the ultimate ending is inevitable. Then you don't have to be afraid anymore because you know it's going to happen. Now here's where Maury takes a big shift from the small to the very large because now he said, okay, the reason I don't care about whether the basement is flooded or not is because I know there are more important things. I know there are bigger issues. Now, your obvious response, yours, Lisa, and everybody listening to us is, listen, I don't want to get ALS just so that I can be calm about the basement. <laughs> I'd rather just be dramatic about the basement. Right. You don't want to get ALS. But the lesson that he's talking about is not about getting ALS. It's about what he learned once he got ALS. Yes. It's about saying, you know what? We're only here for X period of time. Death is inevitable. Not in a gross way. Not in, oh my God, tomorrow is going to be the day I drop dead. But there is a finiteness to this life. And every day we live, we get one day closer to 
that finite end. That's inevitable. That, that's true of a baby that's one day old. That baby is one day closer to dying. So if you accept that that ending is inevitable and work backwards from that concept, instead of, and this is what most of us do, thinking, yeah, I know I'm going to die, but then again, they may invent something between now and when I get older that I'm going to have a lot more time than I think. So, yeah, you know, if I really accepted that 80 years old is the, you know, 79 years old is the actual life expectancy of men, or I don't know, it's less than that now in America, um, or 77 years old for women, then maybe I would do things differently because I'm only 30 years away from 70 or 20 years away from 70 or whatever. But a lot of us believe by the time we get to that age, they're going to have a pill that's going to say, you want to live another 40 years, take this pill. Now you're all done. Yeah, don't no, live like I that. I don't, by the yeah, way. <laughs> don't live like that. <laughs> no though. desire. Because, you know, they've been, people 40 years ago were saying that would be, they'd, we'd have that by now. Yeah. You know, it's like when you watch the Jetsons, like how soon before we actually live like that? Yeah. And the answer is a long time. You know, yeah. I remember when we were kids, we watched that show and we said, oh, that's going to be the future. Like by the time we're adults, we're all going to be driving around in flying cars and everything's going to pop up and everything's going to, you know, robots are going to handle everything. And you know what? It didn't happen. And it's not happening for our kids either. The, the future moves a lot slower in certain areas than you think it's going to. Yeah, so we did get the TV phones, that. though. We did get the TV phone. We did get the TV phone. <laughs> um, that part worked. It's yeah. just, yeah, I, I, uh, it's hard. It's very hard. The older I get, go, the smarter I get about all of this. So, you know. Well, I, that's why we're here, because we're all getting older together, and that's why we're here, to get smarter together. So this idea of accepting the end, again, I don't want to turn this into, you know, a whole thing about death. But I think that it, it stays out there as sort of if you can sort of accept the big picture of, of the life that you're in, that there's going to come a day where getting that basement cleaned is going to seem like the least important thing in the world. And if you know that that day is coming, then why act like it's the most important thing in the world now? You know, recognize that like, that day could come tomorrow. and. This is, you know, when I asked Maury, um, how do you get to that point of calmness so that you accept that the ultimate ending is inevitable and you'll never be afraid anymore? How do you get there? Here's what he said. If I knew, I would tell you, Mitch. But the beginning is always awareness of that's what you want to do. And then you work at it in whatever way you can. And the Buddhists have a very good view. They say that you should look at the possibility of your death every day. Have a little bird on your shoulder that says, is today the day? So that ultimately you might be prepared. So I asked him, okay, let's say we all accept that little bluebird on our shoulder. And we all accept that 
we have to ask it every day, is today going to be my last day? Because I know one of these days is. Then what do you do? His response. Then you go on and carry on your day. But then you're aware of the fact somewhere that you're still mortal. You don't take life for granted. I'm going to give this day my all. Of course, it might be the last day. So I will live it till it's forced. And if you do that every day, as I suggest in my effort, if you live in the moment and live your day, as I think you do, full of vitality and vigor, interest, enthusiasm, that's all you want out of life. Love and caring and so on, you've got it, you've got it. Then you can say, yes, the death is there, but I'm not afraid, and I'm doing the best I can to make life important. So you heard him say, hmm. if you live in the moment, live your day as I think you should, full of vitality, vigor, interest, and enthusiasm. Think about when you know you're going away tomorrow on a big trip. You change your behavior today, right? There's all these things you need to do before you go. I you am not calm. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're not calm, but you do change your behavior because of what's coming, right? Yes. You're capable of changing your behavior because of what's coming, even if that behavior changes to worry and stress about how, how late it's getting and I haven't packed yet and who, what, do I, what do I need to bring and why are you carrying so much and all that. But it's a different day, right? Well, if you can change because you know that that's coming, why can't you change if you know that our mortal end is coming and, and at some point, you know, is going to be here? And we want to live every day so that when we get to that point, we go, well, okay, I really would like to stick around longer, but I got to say, I made the most out of every day I had. Yeah. I fear that very few of us, very, very few of us can really say that sentence when we reach the end of our days. Mm -hmm. I asked Maury if he thought by the end of his days that would have come his way. Do you think that you will, you will reach the point uh, that before your death you will have conquered the fear of it? I don't know. I think I've reduced it. But I just don't know until I get there. It's not how I will be. I would like to die with serenity and inner peace, unafraid, and rage a little bit first at the end. But then sort of lean back and say, okay, I'm ready. And by the way, I believe that that is how Maury passed away. Maury died, interestingly, yet everybody was uh, in the room with him, and then he was still with us uh, in the world. And then everybody went at some, just by coincidence, everybody had left the room for a brief moment to go to the kitchen or use the bathroom or something like that. And it was during that moment that Maury passed away. Oh, wow. And I think he probably did that subconsciously or otherwise 
to be as calm and non-dramatic about it. He didn't want his family crying. Oh, look, he just took his last breath or anything like that. And he got his wish. He said, you know, I, I want to just maybe rage against it at the beginning, but then say, okay, I'm ready. And that's a beautiful ending, you know, if you can go that way. So, okay, we don't have to take it to that degree. You're not dying. You don't have terminal illnesses. But to be able to sort of wrap up a chapter, wrap up a day, wrap up an incident with that calm, I've got it in perspective, it's going to be fine, um, kind of attitude will let you live a lot longer and a lot less hysterically than the alternative, which is to go up and down with every new development or every new thing or everything that's going on at that particular time. Finding calm, finding calm is something that is a very worthy goal. And it begins with accepting calm at the very end and knowing what's coming and then works backwards with, you know, how can I make each day precious? How can I make every day count the most? And the more you do that, the calmer you're likely to be because you're filling your day with the things that make you truly satisfied and not just, well, I'll do this for a while because I need to or because I need the money or whatever. But it's not, I know it's not what I like, but eventually, you know, I have enough time. I'll go, I'll, I'll go and do what I really like to do. Do it now. Do it now. Yeah. It's, I'm going to try to remember that, Mitch. Yeah. Ha. Ha. It's so hard for me. It's so hard. Yeah. It's one of the hardest things in the world for me. For you to stay calm. Yeah. yeah. But I have been working on like knowing that because of my age that like, you know, I don't want to be morbid, but the end is near. You know what I mean? It's much nearer than my birth was. So um, I'm doing all kinds of work around that on my own, you know, like mm. preparing and weird stuff like clearing out my house and my stuff. And, you know, okay. not that it's going to happen tomorrow. You're, start, but you're starting to scare me here, Lisa. No, I'm doing the Swedish death cleanse. We'll talk about that one day if you've never heard about that. But it's uh doesn't have to mean that it's tomorrow. It just means that, you know, be prepared. Hmm. Well, being prepared is a good mantra no matter what. And, yeah, uh, I'm not so afraid hope, of it. We yeah. hope you enjoyed this conversation and getting to hear Maury extensively like we did today. That's really calming to hear his voice, isn't mm. it? Mm -hmm. yeah. Calm is the word, not grease. Calm is the word. <laughs> uh, we will be here in, uh, next week uh, with another edition of the show. You can check us out at wetuesdaypeople.com to find out more about our show and previous shows and guests. And we always enjoy hearing from you with emails or texts or things like that. It makes Lisa's day, I know. She'll write me and say, where do you read this one? This is so beautiful. <laughs> so please, as I used to say in the television business, keep those cards and letters coming. <laughs> we like them. On behalf of Lisa Goyd, who produces this program, I'm Mitch Album, saying, see you next Tuesday. Thank you for listening to Tuesday People. To be part of our conversation, join the Tuesday People community at wetuesdaypeople.com. Subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode and share it with your friends. We look forward to having you with us every Tuesday because, after all, we're Tuesday people. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. 
Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com.